Good morning, fellas. How you doing? Good to see everybody. Nice to see all the energy in the room and the chatter. It's Thursday, right? Which means we only got one more. <laughs> That's a good thing, amen? Well, welcome. Um, for those of you who uh, I haven't met before, my name's Jason Park. I'm one of the men's leaders here at Crossline Church, and I get the benefit of uh, pinch hitting for Pastor Kenny when he is away. Uh, and you know, he's a pretty good hitter. So there's a lot of stress going on. If I screw this up, they might send me down or make me clean the balls and uh, the white baseballs and carry all the gear. Have to, have to be careful with that one, right? <clears throat> but uh, I will tell you, uh, even though your pastor's away, rejuvenating, spending time with other pastors, getting fired up to take us all into the next year. Your pastor is not far away. He's already texted me uh, that he's uh, sitting where he's at watching. The last time I was here, uh, I finished up. He was in Venice with his family. I don't even know what time it was in Venice, and he's, and he's watching us. So he's watching us, and he's praying for us. And Pastor Kenny, we are praying for you that you come back rejuvenated. Amen. So we are in part five of our study of, uh, of this idea that, that we are called to be more, we are made to be more. This challenge from the, free, the four previous weeks, and quite frankly, from all the weeks that we come here, we're reminded of this idea that, idea that we are made for more. We are not made to be mediocre. We are not made to be weak. We are made to be strong, and we're to be challenged by that. And just a quick recap of what we heard from Pastor Kenny last week the, the story that we heard from was in Matthew 13, and we were given this picture of a, of a field and of good seed and bad seed, and the fact that that good seed was us, the sons of the king, and the bad seed was the sons of evil, and the field was the fallen world, and how those two seeds were, were combined, that they would coexist, and, and that we coexist good with evil, and that we battle with that, and how important it was for us to have that mindset and, and to realize that reality and that that reality would reflect in our attitude, our reflect in, and our attitude would reflect in our stand. And some of our feelings last week that we would see Jesus' purpose clearly. We would see our purpose clearly and that we would see the battlefield. And when we do that, we see the fight. And when we see the fight, we fight intentionally. We fight, we fight with clarity. And, and knowing that we're, we're called to fight, we, we acknowledge that. We're not willing to be a casualty because you're either, you're either in the war or you're a casualty in the war. And we don't want to be a casualty in the war. The enemy wants us to be mediocre. The enemy doesn't want us to fight. The enemy doesn't want us to get on the field. The enemy doesn't want us to be a threat. And we are called to be a threat to the enemy that when we take a stand, the enemy sees it. And that calls for us to, to, be, to believe like Jesus in the last two feelings last week were to behave like Jesus and to be filled like Jesus. So this study, this, this fifth part is kind of a reminder when we look back at Pastor Kenny, how he's come up, come up here and he's charged us with something. He's, he's given us a message and we are called to respond to that. We are called to respond to that. We're going to look at three different passages from the book of Mark where Jesus said something very powerful to the disciples that they, they responded to it and, and it resulted in a teaching. Because if we just hear the message and we don't do anything with it, it just dies. That's the seed that just gets planted on the rocky ground or the firm ground. It doesn't seek in. You know, finally we're getting ready for football season, right? We can enjoy sports again. Amen? Amen. 
Imagine if, if the quarterback went on the field and he looked over the sideline as a coach and the coach gave him a sign and the quarterback just said, nah, I don't like that one. Well, I guess that'd be like Tom Brady, but right? But imagine, that's like us. The coach has given us signs. The coach has given us plays because the coach can see multiple steps in front of us. And we're called to respond to that and respond appropriately. So this first section in the book of Mark, you have a handout if you want to open up your Bible to Mark chapter 8, 31 to 38. We're going to look at the three times that Jesus explains to the disciples that he is one day going to be taken captive, that he's going to be crucified, and he's going to be raised from the dead. A very powerful statement that they are to hear. Very powerful statement that they are to hear and that they are to respond to. And then we're going to look at the way that they responded, and we're going to look at the teaching, and we're going to look at the way we are to respond, and what it, what it, means, for, it means for us to respond, what it means for us to be made for more. The title of this week is called Made for More by Being Less. As men, that is a little bit contradictory. If I'm made for more, I should be more. The Bible calls us over and over again to set ourselves aside. To set ourselves aside. The, the scripture says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. We are called to be less by making others more. We are called to be less by glorifying God. We're called to set, our side, set aside ourselves for others and for the glorification of our Lord. Here in Mark 8, 31 to 38, it says, he, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and he, re, and he would be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be also be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So once again, we have this, this powerful prediction, this powerful message that, that Jesus has given his disciples. We have their response and then we have a teaching. And much like many other times in the Bible, the disciples don't respond so appropriately, and we get to learn from them, amen? Right? Sometimes we get to learn from many others' mistakes. So when we look at with this, when, when Jesus is saying, what it's going to be like to be my disciples, your first feeling here is it's going to cost you. And your first feeling here is being made for more will cost me everything. Being made for more will cost me everything. You see in that scripture, it says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. If we look at a parallel passage from Matthew 10, 39, it says, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Mark describes it like saving your life. Matthew describes it like finding your life. We want to save our life. We want to find our life. It's going to cost us. We, we got to give something. 
some of the most important things that, that you possess in your life, some of the most important things that you've accomplished in your life are things that were extremely difficult, things that were extremely costly. And I don't necessarily mean it. It cost you a lot of money. But you have an amazing amount um, committed to that. Your, your marriage is costly. Amen? If, if it isn't, you just ain't been married long enough. Stand by. It's coming, right? But you love, you, you appreciate, because it costs a lot. Your relationship with your children, it costs it cost a lot. It's valuable to you. Some of the most important things that we have, they cost a lot. So they cost us everything. And you've heard the phrase, you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. And oftentimes when you buy something and it's such a good deal, it doesn't even feel quite right. I was, when I was putting this message together, I was reminded of a, of a personal situation on myself where I experienced what you get, what you pay for. And I was uh, kind of uh, on the internet, flipping around, clicking on ads, and the internet knows that I like shoes, right? And the internet knows I like Alan Edmond shoes, but the internet, the internet knows I, I don't buy them at full price, I buy them on sale, right? And so I, I see this ad, and it's an ad for Alan Edmond shoes, and it's a great price, right? It's a really good price, which should have been a warning to me right away, right? For anybody who's bought a, a, a Allen Edmund shoes. And second suspicious circumstance, they had them in size 14 and 15. I should have known better, right? So I'm throwing things into my cart as fast as I can because I got to take advantage of this opportunity. Work with a couple other guys. They were Allen Edmund shoes and I'm making fun of them, right? I'm not even going to tell them. I'm saying, would you see the shoes that I get? So I buy my shoes and I get an email that isn't quite right. Where, you know, the consonants are where the vowels are supposed to be. And the vowels are where the consonants are supposed to be. And the commas is semicolon. And you get where I'm going with this? Like, what just happened? I'm thinking, so I'm going to call Alan Edmonds. I'm sure it's just some type of thing in my firewall. Didn't read my email real well. I call Alan Edmonds, I'm saying, hey, you know, I'm sure it's not a problem. Will you just confirm this order number for me? She says, yeah, no problem. I says, okay, the order number starts with an A. She says, that's not an order number with Alan Edmonds. I get quiet, then she says, let me guess. They were $39. And I said, why did you say that? She said, sir, you should have known better. You ever imagine you buy a pair of Allen Edmonds shoes for $39? No, ma'am. <clears throat> now my credit card is in cyberspace, and there's Allen Edmonds shoes size 15 being worn by somebody. <clears throat> but you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. There's a, there's a great phrase that popped, you know, in my brain, and somebody reminded me. And the phrase is, the price is the prize. Marinate in that just for a minute. The price is the prize. When we pay something, when it costs us something, somebody else benefits from it. Our cost is glorifying God or loving people. And that in itself is very much a prize, that, that price that we pay. So we know it's gonna cost us everything. That's how much, how frequently it's gonna cost me every day. Being made for more is gonna cost me every day. 
In that passage in Mark, it reminds us that we're going to take up our cross. Another parallel passage from Luke 9, 23 says, Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. It's going to cost me everything. It's going to cost me every day. Every day I'm going to be reminded of this. That first phrase when it says I'm to not deny myself, I'm deny my self-interest. I'm denying my, my self-ambition. I'm to deny the stuff that's built into me. When Paul says in Romans 7, you know, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't do, I, 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 I don't want to do, right? Paul's having to remind himself every day that he is to deny himself, his self-interest. When we deny ourselves and when we take up our cross, that's a commitment. Pastor Kenny reminds us, on a pretty regular basis, we come and see, we come and commit, we come and die. When you take up your cross, where are you going? You're not just carrying around a heavy piece of wood for the day. Interesting thing about this passage is this is long before we would know that Jesus would be crucified on a cross. But we're reminded that we're to take up our cross every day, to pay everything, to pay it every day, and to be committed to that. I mentioned to you that that price is the prize. When, uh, when I was here last time and I was talking about finishing strong, I shared with you some stories from uh, training and racing and Ironman distance races and, and how, how long those days would be. And oftentimes I would, I would train somebody in preparation for that race and they would say, I just can't wait to get to the finish line. I said, remember, the finish line is when the race is over. The 140.6 miles isn't about finishing. It's about the 140.6 miles. It's about being within that work, being within that price, being within that costing me every day, being with that commission. Because some of you are carrying your cross right now. Some of you are bearing a burden that is overwhelming. Howard shared stories with me back there of somebody sharing, you know, carrying a burden that's overbearing. That is part of, of the process. That is part what Jesus committed to you to refine you. That refiner's fire, that challenge that he's placed in your life to make you bigger and make you faster, make you stronger and make you a more multiplying and powerful disciple. So the second prediction, flipping over to Mark 9, 33 to 37. So he tells him, he predicts that I'm, I'm going to be taken into custody and I'm going to be crucified and three days later I'm going to be raised from the dead. He continues on here. So they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and a servant to all. He took a little child whom he had placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So here we go. We have Jesus make this powerful prediction. Our first response is Peter takes him aside. Peter takes him aside and, and tries to explain to them, hey, we don't want to hear that right now. We're not, we're not ready for that right now. And now the response to him saying this as they, as they walking along is the disciples, they're, they're bickering about who should be first. Their response to them is, so what does this all mean 
about me? What, is this, what does this mean to me? Oftentimes when we hear a message from standing right up here or from the main sanctuary, we hear that powerful call and we say, so how does this, what does this quite mean to me? How does this impact me? We, we respond very quickly with, with, with selfishness. It's, it's how we're wired. It's how we're, how we're wired that we respond to that. And Jesus tells him this, you want to be the first, you got to be the last. Not only the last, the very last. In the NIV it reads, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. Think about what that meant in that time and think about what that means now. To be last. For a man to be last, for anybody to be last, it's very, it's humiliating. And even, even to be last is, I mean, to be very last, not amongst the last, not towards the end. Even in our, even in our culture, right? The great theologian Ricky Bobby says, if you're not first, you're last. I feel sorry for the people who don't understand that reference. Read the book of Mark and then watch Talladega Nights. You're going to be better off for it. <clears throat> Last. Reminded of Mel Gibson and when we were soldiers. He was last. He was last to get on the helicopter. Everybody will leave first before me. He made that promise to his soldiers and to his family. We are called to be last. We are called to let everyone else move in front of us. So your first fill in here is being made to more. It will conflict with my pride. It will conflict with my pride. When we are challenged to be more, we will ask the question, what does this mean to me? And it's a good thing for us to remember. We should be responding in those moments and acknowledging the fact that what our gut is telling us. Responding in those moments, say, I need to make sure this isn't about me. When I respond in those moments when I'm being challenged, I need to remind myself to not think about me, to put other people first. To remember what God says is, love me and love people. Everything else will take care of itself. You will feel loved. You don't have to worry about you. Love him and love people, but it's gonna, it's gonna impact our pride. And we need to be mindful of that because we are men. Our gut, our gut response to things is to be protective. I share with men on a regular basis, whatever, guts, whatever your gut's telling you, do the opposite because it's protecting you. What does this mean to me? How can I benefit from this? How can I minimize my own risk in this moment? How can I minimize my own culpability in the wrong doing this? We protect ourselves. It's a natural, natural response and we need to be mindful of that. It will conflict with our pride. Secondly, being made for more requires me to serve others, not serve myself. Requires me to serve others. It's not about serving my needs, it's about serving theirs. And when I serve their needs, my needs get fulfilled. There are many people in the room who, who, uh, who serve the body of Christ. I've served with you. And there have been times when we've gone and we've done service things. And we've helped other people. And I could even hear us underneath our breath whining just a little bit because it's an early Saturday morning. It's a late one evening. And we're moving somebody. Or we're doing whatever it is. And our gut's telling us this is going to be inconvenient. We go over there and we put in some sweat equity and we do something for somebody else and we drive away thinking it got done for us. We get served. 
but we are made to serve others. And in this picture, when Jesus shows an illustration of who we're supposed to serve, he picks up a small child. It was interesting, Eurydice is taking a small child into his arms. Says he'd placed the child amongst them. So if he's taking a small child into his arms, it's reasonable, it's a small child. We've heard many times on, on just the class system of the time and, and what women, how they were devalued, you know, and how children, how they were devalued, how they, they were worthless. They were placed very low on the socioeconomic ladder. And, and Jesus is giving us an example of somebody that needs to be served, somebody that is helpless, somebody that will require our help, require our energy, require our resources. And he's saying, this is who you will serve, this small child. There are people in our lives that aren't small children that need our help just as much as a small child was. There are people around us. Those are the people that we're called to serve. In this case, he's saying being made for more is to serve others who need serving. Who need serving. But that picture of that, of that, that helpless person, that helpless person that needs serving, and then lastly here is being made for more requires me to serve those who the world won't serve. So many great stories of, of when Jesus enters into a person's life that the world is discounted. Jesus was hanging out with the tax collectors. Jesus gets down on the ground, spends time with the adulterous woman. Jesus goes up to the person who's sick. Jesus heals the lame. Jesus touches the leaper. Jesus makes the, the blind man see again when everybody's just standing around assuming this blind man deserved what he had coming. Serving the people that the world won't serve. And then he continues on in Mark. 42 to 43. It says, if anyone caused one of these little ones to stumble, so he's still holding that child. It's in the same context of the, the context of the same conversation. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go into hell where the fire never goes out. Your next fill in here says being made for more means if I'm not helping, I am hurting. If I'm walking by somebody, if I'm ignoring a moment where somebody needs help, and without my help, they will continue on hurting, or they will continue hurting even worse, or not helping them is potentially hurting them. I identify with that very clearly. Most of you know by now I'm a police officer. And I am called, there's a level of expectation that I'm going to show up and I'm going to help. And if I don't, and as a result of me not helping, somebody's hurting, I'm culpable for them being hurt. And I'm comfortable with that. That's, that's just part of the deal. That's just part of the deal. That's part of our deal. We are called to help people. And when we ignore that, it's as if we are hurting them. That feeling, if I am not helping, I am hurting we continue on into the book of Mark here on to chapter 10. This is the third time that Jesus will make this reference. Once again, he shares what's going to happen, that he's going to make this prediction. He's going to be held captive. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be raised from the dead. In our third prediction here, continuing on in Mark. Since so James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, teacher, they said, 
We want you to do whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other your left in your glory. You don't know what you were asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptized I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I will drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at the right hand or the left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So we saw Peter's response. Peter pulls Jesus aside and tells him, you shouldn't be saying that. The second prediction, the disciples are are walking around saying, Jesus, I wonder which one of us is going to be first. And then he makes this prediction again, and now James and John want a special place. That's their response, as opposed to their response in, in, in thinking about what this meant, thinking about what this meant to the kingdom of God. Jesus reminds them. Jesus reminds them very powerfully. I don't think you realize what you're saying. I don't think you realize what it means to be me. Will you drink from the same cup? Will you be baptized in the same way? And they say, yeah, we will. Being made more your next fill in here means being treated like Jesus was treated. Like Jesus was treated. Can just sit there for a, a moment and be reminded of how Jesus was treated. All the different ways that he was described. A crazy man, demon-possessed, a heretic, evil. He was beaten, he was crucified, judged horribly for his actions. Jesus is telling them, if you want to be like me, you're going you're to be treated like me. You will drink that cup. You will be baptized. We will be treated like Jesus. We also know what it looks like on the other end. We get to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. Amen? It's not designed for us to, uh, for it to scare us. When I was hearing and playing this message back in my head as I was looking at this, you know, it sounds, making it sound kind of scary. It's not designed that way. It's designed to be a reminder. It's good to be reminded. Our tummy should hurt in this room. Our tummy, when we walk out of here and our tummy hurts, our pastor did a good job. Instead of us walking out hearing what we wanted to hear, we walked out hearing what we needed to hear. There's a difference. You understand the difference between telling somebody what they want to hear versus what they need to hear? Getting ready to go to dinner, it's Saturday night. Wife walks out. She got a dress on. She says, how do I look? In that moment, you are faced with the dilemma of telling her what she wants to hear versus what she needs to hear. I just made you tell me here just a little bit. I'm sorry for that. We need to hear what we need to hear. Our tummy needs to hurt. 
We need to be reminded that it's going to cost us every day. We need to be reminded it's going to cost us everything. We need to be reminded as part of this deal, if we're a son of the king, we're going to be treated like the king. And that's a good thing. Why? If he can do it, we should do it. Why did he do it? So we would do it. That's why he did it. So being made for more means being treated like Jesus was treated. Next, being made for more means knowing who to serve. Means knowing who to serve. This Matthew passage in Matthew 5, 38 to 42 is kind of a reminder of the story of the Good Samaritan. And uh, I, won't, I won't spend much time on it, but when the expert of the law says, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells him a story. And at the end of that, the moral of this, that story was that your neighbor is the guy that you don't really like. Your neighbor is the guy who has philosophical differences. Your neighbor is the guy who has religious difference. Your neighbor might be the guy you've been at war with. If you're a Packer fan, your neighbor might be a Chicago Bear fan. Amen, Frank? Your neighbor might be the guy you don't want to be your neighbor. And in this story, it's very similar as far how we're supposed to treat people that treat us. Matthew 5.38 reads, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take, you, take your shirt, hand them over your coat. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away for the one who wants to borrow from you. This picture of what this looks like, he starts that out. It says, I know, you know, the law says, you've heard it says, you know, one for one, an eye for an eye. Jesus is saying, you're going to be more gracious than that. The person who deserves to be punched in the face. The person who wrongs you. You're going to love that person. We're faced with those situations where somebody wrongs us on a regular basis and the light could never be greener. Society says, I need to take this guy out of the knees. My wife is officially wrong this time and I can prove it and that's rare and I need to take advantage of this moment to remind her that she's wrong. Not true. When somebody wrongs us, even though the law says an eye for an eye, when they, when they wrong us, they slap us on one side of the face, give them the other. When they're suing you, they're going to take your shirt, give them their coat. When they force you to go this distance, go twice that distance. We're supposed to love that person. We're supposed to love that person that the world is telling us not to love. We're supposed to love that person. So your last three feelings before you break into your small sessions are pretty quick here. It says, when it's not about me, it's about him. I am made for more by being less means. When I make myself less, I make somebody else more. When I humble myself, I lift somebody up. When I humble myself to serve them, I lift them up. We are in a world that, that naturally wants to push people even further down as opposed to lifting up. You know, we heard a saying many, many years ago, you never kick a man when he's down. Now it's like, what better time to kick him? True. As opposed to us getting down there with him 
That great picture, I love that picture of, of, of Jesus when he's talking to the adulterous woman. And, he, and everybody's got her surrounded. And they're being hateful and saying hateful things you can just imagine. And what does Jesus do? He gets down in the ground with her. We know because he's writing something on the ground. He's at the same level as her. He got down to her level. When everybody's nice and tall, minimizing her, he gets down with her. Gets down at her level. When it's not about me, it's about him. Next, when I am less, he is more. When I am less, he is more. When I change the, the spotlight off of me, when I change the, you know, my perspective to re just reflecting on my self-interest and my own self-ambition, when I change that perspective, that's when I turn my eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. That's when the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's when. When I stop focusing on me. When, I'm, when I am less, he is more. And then last, serving is contagious. And I want to share this, this story with you of a moment where I, I experienced this. It was very accidental in nature, very unplanned. Um, I was out on a training ride uh, many years ago and training for some, some big race. And uh, for those of you that ride your bicycle through the canyon, your motorcycle through the canyon, you're familiar with the Chevron station at Jamboree and, um, and Chapman. Because either, you know, you're coming out of the canyon and you're dying or getting ready to go in the can. It's kind of a great fuel stop. And we went there and we were just refueling our bikes and, and, our, and our bottles. And there was a guy to the side and he was digging through the trash. And a buddy of mine um, who was just kind of being, uh, you know, being honorary says, So, uh, Pastor Jason, you can do about that. And that was kind of like a, a double dog dare. Do you know what I mean? Like, I could not deny this moment. I thought about punching my, my, my buddy in the head, but he was, he was wearing a helmet. <clears throat> I said, fine. And it was kind of inconvenient. I was ready to go. I was ready to leave. Bottles were full. And plus, I was covered in spandex, and, and, and I looked like a cyclist. And it's an awkward situation to be in if I'm going to go, you know, talk to this, this fellow over here. So I went over there, and I talked to him. I asked him how he's doing, um, checked in with him. It turned out he was a believer. I gave him the food that I had. I went and I bought him a Subway sandwich. And I came out and I gave it to him. And I, I asked him, you know, is it okay if I pray for you? And uh, he said, yeah. And I, and I asked him, I said, I'm going to put my hand on you and pray for you. You're okay with that. And you know why I asked him that? Because he probably doesn't get touched very often. And when he does, it might not be the most positive experience. So I asked for his permission. Is it okay if I put my hand on you to pray for you? He said, yes. And I started praying for him, and I have this habit in those moments. I know we're supposed to bow our heads and close our eyes. Um, I kept my eyes open. Uh, there was one time when I offered to pray for somebody, and it got a little bit awkward in the moment, and, and, uh, and, and a fellow tried to take a swing at me. And so I keep my eyes open because if I'm going to get hit in the face, I'd rather see it coming. You know what I mean? And so I have my eyes open, so I'm praying for him. And I kind of look over, and my gaze goes, and I see my buddy. And he's crying. The one who double dog dare me, that guy, right? And then I kind of look out at the gas station. It's like the gas started pumping, time stopped, and everybody's watching this. And I knew it. And it felt so good 
because people are watching somebody else being served, somebody else that's been discounted, somebody else that was invisible at the moment. So I finished praying for him, and it's time to leave. And the guy walks up to me and says, hey, man, did you pray for that guy? And I said, yeah. He says, is it cool if I give him money? And I said, yeah. And then somebody else brought their, uh, their child along, and they had bought like a bagel or something. They went over to give him a bagel. Right? It became contagious, this moment. And all I did was go up and say hello to a guy. It was not rocket surgery. Some of you just went, oh, he doesn't know the difference. <laughs> it's not complicated. It cost me like seven bucks. I gave him a banana, a power bar, and a, a turkey sandwich. And I prayed over him. And you know what? He got his turkey sandwich, and he was, he was, he was blessed. I got blessed. My buddy got blessed. Other people got blessed. Other people reminded, were reminded of what it's like to serve. It's contagious. I've served around some of you, and it's been contagious to me. When you serve around your buddies and your friends and your coworkers, it becomes contagious. This, it costing me every day, it costing me everything, me serving the people I'm supposed to serve, me serving the people that this world doesn't want to serve, me, 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 me realizing that I'm going to be treated like Jesus, that's contagious. We want it to, we want to be that person that's spreading that, Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder. We thank you for the challenges that are offered from your word. We thank you for the challenges that are offered from, this, from this, uh, this, this stage up here from our pulpit. I pray that we would respond to it, Lord. And I pay, pray that we would respond and not be selfish about it. I pray that we wouldn't say, what does this mean to me? I pray that we would say, what are the benefits of the kingdom of God? I pray that we wouldn't be worried about our sacrifice. We, I pray that how this would be less about me and more about you and more about your people. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. And all God's men said, amen. amen.